0: Hello, and welcome to Focused on Forward. I am so excited today to have a chance to talk with Lisa Zerotny. Now, I'm excited because Lisa had me as a guest on her show, and we had a wonderful discussion, and uh, I found her to be just an amazingly uh, gentle host and someone very easy to to talk with, and I'm sure that uh, it'll be much the same today. Now, I encourage you to go please listen to her show. It's called The Positively Living Podcast, and it's a fantastic show which helps people Uh, Manage their time and their stress, how to avoid burnout and all that type of stuff. She's a really good uh, at productivity and organizing and all the things that I'm not in life. So I do enjoy listening to her show uh, and how she takes care of that. Uh, But today, Lisa's not on here so much to talk about that, although we will talk about her show a little bit. Uh, But she's on to talk today about being a caregiver and the emotional and mental strains and stresses that come to not only the person who is ill and needs to be taken care of, but the person who's doing the care, because that alone is a full-time job outside of what you're already doing for work. So Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for wanting and being willing to come on and share your story.
1: Oh, Tim, thank you so much for having me. As you said, uh, you were a guest on my show and I loved our conversation. And as you also know, because you were a guest that uh, discussing trauma is so important to me. And I believe it should be important for all of us because it's an integral part of our lives. And the more that we can acknowledge it, the more that we can find a way to heal from it, and then we can grow from it. And I really do believe that's what happened to me. So as difficult as it can be to to come back to what I consider my my major story of trauma, I've, I've had many traumas in my life, but the caregiver part, that's so important to share. And, and I really appreciate that you've asked me to do so.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And I, I agree hundred percent with you. I think the more that we talk about these things, the more we get them out there in the open uh, you know, there there's the saying that, you know, we need to uh, normalize. And I believe that's uh, something that needs to be said more when we talk about these type of things, when we talk about traumas, when we talk about dealing with traumas, overcoming them and moving forward in our life. It's hard to do that if it hasn't been normalized, if that stigma is still around it, uh, where people shrink back and pull back from it. So Lisa, when you're ready, if you would, Mm -hmm. please share your story.
1: Okay. This is one of those, where do I start? And it's for most people, I would say there's not always a beginning per se, but, I have a starting point for the sake of this story and for the sake of keeping this episode at a reasonable length to say that uh, I knew that I wanted to bring my mother into our home and care for her, you know, during her golden years. And I suspected for a while prior to the time that we did that, that she could use some assistance. My father had passed away long before this. She was you know, in her house by herself running a business. And I had a feeling something was a little bit off. Things started to slip, which can happen when people are, uh, you know, getting older. And my husband and I kept encouraging her to come stay with us. And sort of as luck and universal timing would have it, I was pregnant with my son. And she finally said yes. So she moved in and was able to share that beautiful time with us and the arrival of her first grandchild. And then during that time that she lived with us, which was nearly five years, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, or at least at the very least, I should say, you know, extreme um, cognitive decline, dementia, dementia. <clears throat> it's a little difficult medically, uh, you know. Not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But uh, to say that you know something is definitively Alzheimer's, but it was definitely presenting itself in that way. So we went through a process of having, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, neurologists and and different specialists and, and diagnostic testing to figure out what was going on with her. All the while. I was pregnant with my son, and then I was pregnant with my daughter. And to this day, even though this is years ago now, it is difficult for me to properly explain what I went through because I'm generally a very positive person because retrospectively I can see all the gifts that it brought me, but to honor those who have either been caregivers or are right now or are going to be, I need to say honestly that it was one of the most difficult times of my life. I was beyond exhausted. The word weary always comes to mind. I was hurting. I was confused. I had, I don't know what the negative word for negative patience is. <laughs> I, I had none of that. I was surviving the best I could and cared for her for nearly five years before she passed away. Okay.
0: Well, I think all the the feelings that you were just expressing there from other people that I've talked to who are caregivers is is a very common thread. It's not, this is not something that's a singularity to just Lisa. I think that it's important that we acknowledge those things as we, as we move forward. So you had her, you had your mother in your house for uh, approximately five years what was what was the hardest part of dealing with the dementia and or Alzheimer's, whichever it may have been for you as you tried to care for her?
1: I find it challenging whenever someone says hardest or like favorite you know like where you have the sure. ultimate, but I think ultimately we have to to prioritize in some fashion, so I would definitely say that the the most difficult part of it was the sheer unknown how things could change from day to day and you didn't know what was to come next you don't know how it's going to present and even the stories that i may share might not be anything like someone else goes through so the fact that this really strong woman and, and you need to understand too she came from germany she had a work ethic that you would expect when i say that she taught that to me she was this super strong, no-nonsense, suck-it-up buttercup kind of matriarch of the family. And an Love amazing, it. incredible woman. And she was a caregiver to everyone else. She taught me to be a caregiver. And when she showed weakness and confusion, when she, I mean, we, <laughs> listen, we're all human and we get things wrong. Mm-hmm. but when dementia presents itself it can be really really wrong and shocking and surprising it can test your patience and it can really confuse you so i would say that that never knowing when the other shoe is going to drop never knowing what exactly is going to come next that that uncertainty and 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 kind of almost walking on eggshells in a way that would be the the number one challenge i would say
0: okay Now, because I've asked my dad this question, because when my grandmother passed away, uh, was it two years ago now, three years ago, I'm sorry, from dementia. And for him, the the biggest challenge that he felt was the uh, when she would not be able to recognize him, you know, and and going in and dealing with that and trying to reassure her of who he was and why he was there. Uh, yeah. And, and she had gotten to a point where it, it, being cared for in the home by the family was no longer an option. So I, I, I can sympathize with you to some degree uh, as far as that's concerned. So take us through, if you don't mind mm-hmm. the impact of you or, or the impact for you of having to, to go through this the impact on your family, uh, et cetera.
1: So, you know, in thinking back to all the different ways that it would impact me, I've talked about lack of sleep. You know, there's the stress, the worry, and literally the lack of sleep, because as the disease progressed, she would do something called sundowning. So she would trash her room. And there was a concern, too, because I had two very little children in the house. And, you know, there's one thing that, that pops up in my mind, and it was difficult for me to describe it because... I didn't, I didn't want to sound like, like I was complaining, but, but it's a really, oh gosh, it's, it's, such a, it's such an honest thing that I think we all feel is that I was in this time of my life where I was a new mom and most of the other people that I knew had their moms helping them. And I was in an opposite situation where I was caring for my mom. And also, not only could she not help me, but sometimes she could potentially hinder me. I had to watch her all the time with my children. It is, it's a devastating feeling when someone so important to you that you, you trusted with your life, your entire life, your mother is now someone who could potentially be harmful to your children there was a lot of scenarios where I, I wanted to make sure that we were safe from her, but then also that she wouldn't be hurt by that. So there was definitely lack of sleep, there was stress, but there was also that role reversal. And you know, to your dad's point, the not knowing exactly who we were, not being able to bring up names, that was a bit more subtle for us in that It was less about her saying, I don't know who you are and more just not not bringing up names or maybe something not feeling familiar. But I was grateful that she felt a certain comfort with us. Like it was almost like a familiarity, even if she was not familiar with our names or the details. So that part was okay, But the other part, the safety part was really traumatic for me. And I have to tell you, too. It took me a long time to allow for the fact that that is a trauma. You know, I I wanted to give other people the word trauma. You and I talked about this on on my podcast with this idea of, okay, well, what is a trauma? No, that, that belongs to other people who went through something worse. No, no. Um, I lost my mom in pieces and couldn't trust her with my children because my number one job was to protect them and, and that was, that was devastating.
0: Yeah. I have heard it just described as, you know, as the slow descent and, and the, 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 the long goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, and I can see how and why uh, from, from not having really having to gone through it. I mean, I went through it like, you know, vicariously through my father. Um, but I did not have the, the relationship with his mother that he had clearly. Mm-hmm. And um You know, so watching watching that happen uh, for him, it was harder for me to see the impact on him than it was for me to for it to happen. But to that point, uh, even I I think that even in discussions with him, it's it's more of a well, this isn't a problem for me. You know, and you know, same thing as what you were just kind of describing there. I think I think that's just a common thread is that we we want to dispel the fact that we've we've gone through something traumatic because we weren't trapped under a car. We weren't, you know, didn't have a gun pointed to our head. We didn't, you know, didn't, uh, weren't in a fiery building or something traumatic, you know, not traumatic, but dramatic. Because I think that's what we associate trauma with is that it has to be this big, you know, massive hot air balloon of of drama in front of us in order for us to go, well, yeah, that's, that's traumatic right there.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, I, ended up studying, I I got my certification in stress management, you know, as part of the path that I've gone through as a coach, understanding just how much stress impacts us. And I think about all of the medical issues that I've had, the challenges that I've had. And I I know that it has stemmed from that time when, I mean, and you also think too, I mean, I went through two pregnancies as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, my body, my mind, my spirit underwent, so much stress and pressure with so little opportunity to heal during that time as well.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, the pregnancies alone, even though it's a joyous time and it it brings good things into the world, it's still hard on the body. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, then there's, if, if you battled postpartum at all, I don't know if that was an issue, but if you did, then on top of that, then you have, you have the issue with your mother Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely, definitely a traumatic time. I can see that. So how did you come to the point of acknowledging the fact that what you were doing was difficult?
1: That's such an interesting question and saying that's such an interesting question is, is such a deflecting uh, comment, (laughs) but (laughs) which I know, but it truly is an interesting question because I wonder sometimes how I did, like, it's sort of like it it came, it came upon me as I went and as I processed it. So I will say this, that uh, I did my best to take care of myself, but, and I don't know if this was going to be a question of yours, but I'm going to answer it already, which is if someone says, what would you do differently? The only answer I've really ever had is demand better care for myself. Yeah. And you know, that, that's a real thing. So that's why I am the self care advocate that I am today. So given that I did try, I did try to take care of myself to, to reach out, to, to go to doctors, to ask for help. I was part of a, uh, a support, uh, actually multiple support groups, one specifically for Alzheimer's and one that was through the office for the elderly. So if this is ever something that you are dealing with, or you know, someone who's dealing with, I highly recommend doing that right away. Get to a community, go through alzheimer's.org or, you know, the office for the aging near you and ask them for contacts because uh, those people, they, 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 they changed the game for me. And I think it was those conversations. I think it was uh, vague booking and posting like crazy on Facebook about what I was going through. I think it was <laughs> communicating with friends and understanding this is not the norm to be having an infant and a toddler and a mom who's, you know, wandering away on you and, and things like that. Those were all points. I think that, that drove home to me, this is hard. This is not, usual this is extreme and I think each of those times allowed me to acknowledge more and more that this was practically impossible but then again what choice did I have
0: right so confronted with the with the issue we we put our heads down we we go through it it's not typically till we're done and we're able to look back you know that 2020 hindsight we go yep okay that was that was an issue that was a problem you know and I, I think that for a lot of us, that's where the 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 issue comes in. Is that in the moment we're just doing, we're surviving. We don't we don't understand uh, that there's ability to thrive until you know well after we're done and we're able to look back on it. And even then, it's it's kind of the the, the repacking of of emotions and and things and trying to move forward.
1: It's so true. It, we we have to. Use all of our our energy <laughs> uh, in the survival mode, and and right. it, it's only after, like I was able to reflect on things after she passed. I had the most unusual grieving process, or at least it it felt unusual to me, because. I almost felt like I, I grieved backwards a little because the first thing I felt was relief. And then I felt guilt about feeling relief, Sure, I, you know, and it was so complicated. Uh, but it, it was only in those those quiet moments that I I had a chance to even hear myself think again.
0: I was actually going to ask you about that. If you, you know, what was your reaction to the the loss? And that's not an uncommon feeling though. And then the subsequent feeling of, of guilt after that is also not an uncommon feeling because you know, we, nobody wants to wish death on anyone. We don't, especially for the ones that we love and the ones that we care about. Mm Uh, and so to have that feeling there, there's a bit of remorse that's attached to that feeling for not feeling remorse at the loss at first, you know, because there is the, You know, it 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 is a weight off the chest. It is a a release uh, to some degree, but that that brings on other conditions and things afterwards. Absolutely. How did you deal with that time? You know, because the grieving process is is like a snowflake. It's no two people grieve the same way. So once you you felt the the relief, Mm -hmm. and you acknowledged the guilt, how did you go through your grieving process?
1: And I love that you mentioned that. So what, however you grieve is the correct way to grieve, right? It's right. grief, grief has no um, specific steps. It has no timeline. And for me, uh, first reaction, of course, was just the relief. And it wasn't even like a, you know, a, a very specific acknowledgement of relief, like, whoa, I'm relieved. You know, it was more of a, I'm breathing. I, wait, oh, I don't have to go and check on her. I don't have to go. And I was doing paperwork too. I mean, I was going through Medicaid paperwork, mm-hmm. you name it. I mean, I was inundated with demands and to have that stop in a way. Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of posthumous uh, paperwork as well, but, uh, sure. you know, there, there was just this, this time period where I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? So there was the, okay. Now I only have to, and I put that kind of in air quotes there, I care for my kiddos and um, I can, oh, there's my husband. Boy, was he a trooper through all this, you know, taking a back seat to everything else. And, you know, it was like this realization that there's this new space. And with that, my first instinct was to fill it back up. What do I do now? What do I do? do I do it. Do I get a job? Do I support the family? What do we need? But, and I, I could feel that urge, and I, I know I've I've seen this for for years now, and it's part of what I coach. is I see people's inclination to have a space and want to fill it back up, but something in that moment for me said, "Wait, step back. How about clear your space? How about clean up what you've let go?" Because I was in survival mode, so I let go of tons of, you know, optional things. And I also let go of tons of things that probably shouldn't have been um, negotiables. Right. But I had to let go of them because, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're going down in the boat, you jettison everything you possibly can. So I had a big mess, literally like uh, physically uh, tons and tons of bins of paperwork and uh, physical stuff around plus, you know, kiddos and everything and all the stuff that comes with them and then stuff to do all of that. And I was like, how about we deal with that first? And so I just started literally decluttering and, and sorting. And I think it was, that was part of my 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 grieving and and processing all that was was going through it and i'm so glad that i did because it was extraordinarily healing because i was clearing a space in my heart and in my mind and you know in our in our home too and so then i i did that for probably about 6 months and i'll never forget the time frame of it she passed away on christmas and by july i realized that i hadn't actually grieved the loss of my mom in the traditional sense of saying I've lost my mom and Mm -hmm. it's probably because I lost her as you said the you know the long goodbye over time but then it's like it hit me I'd gone through so much of the decluttering that you go through that maybe isn't as personal like you know donating clothes and doing things like that and then it was like oh wow wait, okay. My mom is gone now. Okay. And I actually picked up the book on grief and grieving because that's the first thing that I love to do is to research, to talk to people, to read, to, to get some input and be like, who's gone through this? What do they know? How does this work? You know, I'm always trying to figure that out. And that was, uh, that was a healing moment for me because whether you believe it, the the stages that they talk about of grief are accurate. And as I'm coming to understand it, I think it's actually more the stages of, of our own mortality that we're, we're dealing with. Um, But those, those stages helped me understand and maybe put words to what I was feeling and experiencing. And, uh, and then I just said, I think it's at that point that I let it be okay. Like, okay. Oh, now, now I'm like, you know, freaking out. Nope. Now I'm perfectly fine. Now I'm relieved. That's okay too. And I, I I guess I just let it all be okay at that point. And, and I would say that that book really, really helped.
0: Okay. Fantastic. So you mentioned this earlier, uh, you, you've talked a little bit about your husband, but what was the impact on your personal relationship as your spouse?
1: I I feel so blessed that he was as determined as he was to hang in there and that he loved me, you know, so much that, that he would take the backseat as much as he did to all of the other demands that happened. And the fact that he was a huge part of welcoming her into our home, I would say that it was draining for him, but he was definitely a secondary caregiver, but I, I suspect it may be something similar to what you went through with your dad, where you're watching someone else you love who's sort of the the, Mm -hmm. the main caregiver. And that hurts because someone you love is hurting. And he has expressed that over time, over conversations that we've had, that it was so difficult to watch me being torn in so many pieces, torn emotionally by what was Happening. I mean, he loved my mom; she loved him. But it's still not the same relationship, right? Right. Right. And uh, and in terms of our relationship, it was kind of one of those we're on almost autopilot, if you will. Uh, we had a lot of conversations where we just said to each other, "I've got nothing left in the tank to give." You understand that I want to give to you, but but I can't right now. And we acknowledged that, and it was. It was a very compassionate time now now that I reflect on it. And I give him so much credit for that. It was an ideal and we definitely needed more for each other. But, you know, over time, the more that I, you know, created space again for us and the more that I healed, the more we were able to get back to that time for each other. I don't know. It was, it was difficult, but we... We kind of held on for dear life.
0: Well, that's great. I you know. I think that a lot of times, what you just said there is that we acknowledge the fact that we didn't have the time. Not that you didn't want to make the time, but right. there was just there was just nothing else to give. And I think that sometimes that's where couples who are going through this, where you know, because literally, uh, my wife and I have experienced this a little bit with our daughter because I'm the primary caregiver. I stay home with her. I do all the mm-hmm. things. On top of all her illnesses, she also has chronic insomnia. And being a teenager with some some challenges that needed to get vetted out and taken care of and all these different things. I was staying up with her till 2:30, three o'clock in the morning every night. Getting up at seven, seven thirty in the morning the next day, you know, just a couple hours later, I was running on most nights, about four hours of sleep, then going out and doing everything I needed to do, come home you know, rinse and repeat the same thing. And so I under, I really appreciate that you said that because that was one of the, the points that my wife and I had to get to was acknowledging the fact that I love her more than anything. And I will do whatever I can to, to try and make her happy and to, to take care of her and, and fight for our family. Mm-hmm. But we both had to acknowledge and understand that there was this other project that we were working on for the time being. And this project was emotionally, mentally, physically draining. And there'd be nights when I would just look at her and I would just tell her, I just need you to know I love you. And that's all I could do. I know that we're two ships passing right now and I'm just waving from the deck, but I just need you to know that I love you. And, you know, I think it's important for couples to be able to do those type of things because it's, I can see where it would be easy for one to get lost in the fray.
1: Yeah, very much so. And even if all we're doing is communicating the fact that we we have empty tanks, which is essentially what we did, it at least keeps reminding them that if you had something in the tank, you would surely give it.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. There was times when I would just tell my wife, I I just, you know, at seven, eight o'clock at night, I I have to go lay down for an hour. I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't go any farther. And I would just walk to the bedroom and you know, I'd be asleep before my head would hit the pillow because I was just, I was just so tired. And I know from, you know, from other experiences and in talking with other people that that physical exhaustion, that toll it is, is very difficult to handle. It was even for just a, uh, doing it for a couple years was difficult for me. How did you work past the physical toll? that's levied on a caregiver because it's not just the, the emotional and and mental aspects of this. I think it's important that we also acknowledge that there is a physical toll that comes with this uh, because of what needs to be done in order to care for the, the person who's receiving the care.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure that I necessarily did manage all that. Well, I mean, I had, I had issues with like my, uh, my neck and and lower back. And, um, when I, when my son was born, I, I had numbness in my forearms such that it was hard to hold him. But I mean, I did go to the doctor. I did go to the chiropractor. I, I did seek out help. I napped when I could, I took opportunities when I could, when people would offer to help. I will say that once my son was, you know, in the toddler stages, I paid really close attention to the foods that I ate and tried to nourish my body as much as I possibly could. Sometimes I think some of what I was doing was a little bit like, you know, (laughs) locking the barn after the horse is out of there, but I did whatever I could. And sometimes the, the pendulum swung a little too hard. I mean, I've actually had some interviews on some other podcasts about the fact that I led myself to orthorexia because I was so obsessed with the quality of foods for my family, for myself, my mom, my children, that it, it got to be too much. But basically I did whatever I could in whatever time frame I could. And I don't know if I did it all that well, which is probably why I say so boldly to anyone who listen and twice to people who won't, please, please, if you're a caregiver, demand that time that you need for yourself, demand the things that will nourish you because you're going to need it even more than when you're not a caregiver.
0: That's wonderful. So. There has to come a point in time where you decide that I have to start moving forward for myself. Now you talked about the book that earlier that, that kind of helps you get on the right path, but what was there a definitive time where you can say, this is where I I said, okay, I have to start moving forward. I have to become focused on forward.
1: I think it probably was about the year mark. And I want to say that very carefully. Because again, grieving is different for everyone. There is no timetable. I will say this though, when you are grieving, uh, when you have a a specifically grieving a loss of a loved one, the first anniversaries do hit differently. Mm -hmm. And I think that when they hit, they create an opportunity for reflection. And I suppose that's, an inclination that I have anyhow to sit back and reflect. But over the course of time, you figure over the course of that year, I made multiple decisions to say, okay, instead of going out and doing something else, you know, getting a new job, getting a puppy, you know, doing something else to kind of fill the space that was suddenly open, which I know can be scary. I decided to step back and keep clearing more space, and to keep acknowledging. And one of the biggest things I did during that year was self-care. I mean, I you name it, I did it. You know, I had uh, holistic, you know, like remedies, and uh, again, you know, different kinds of uh, food, uh, you know, diets and things like that. But movement, exercise, doing things that were joyous, that was my focus. And that and a combination of that and I guess the, the general space and openness of the family, getting time back with my husband and doing things as a family of four, those were really unique. You figure, the, you know, since my children were born, we had really never done things as a family of four. So all of those things, I think throughout that first year led me to understand that life needed to be different than it was before. I couldn't use the same rules that I did before going forward. So what were those new rules going to be? And that was how I focused on forward is saying, what's life going to look for us now? And I often say that it it, the whole experience gave me one of the biggest life lessons. We often say, don't sweat the small stuff. And I was taught, man, it's all small stuff, isn't it? I mean, it was just a reminder to me that we don't need to play the game like we did before. And it's, it's time to make our own rules.
0: Yeah. It's wonderful. It's amazing how you come to understand what's really important in life and and what, as you said, is just the small stuff, the trivial stuff that can, you know, some things can, you just get pushed off to the side and and they'll be there when they're there and we'll deal with them when they're there, but this is the important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm glad to see that you, you, you took that, that line of sight on things. Perfect. Okay. Lisa, we're at a point in the show where I'd like to ask two questions to all my guests. These are the same two questions I've asked every single guest since the dawn of focused on forward. So here we go. Okay. Looking back over the entirety of your experience, what is the single greatest lesson that you have learned?
1: I did mention it before, but it bears repeating. And that is that we need to care for ourselves. Self care is not an optional thing, it's not pampering. It is essential for our survival, our well being. It's essential regardless of whether we are caring for others or not.
0: Perfect. That's a great answer. Love it. Okay. Second question, kind of similar to the first. Looking back over the entirety of your experience, what was the single greatest piece of advice that you were given?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm so ready for this answer and a special <laughs> shout out to Stuart uh, who ran, he was the facilitator for the uh, Alzheimer's support group, the caregiver support group. And we often dealt with issues where um, we'd have conversations with those we cared for and they would say things that were completely off base, shocked us, or absolutely wrong. And our human instinct is to correct. And mm-hmm. he said, would you rather be right or sane?
0: Wow. That really puts that into perspective, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it yeah. I'm
0: gonna have to think about that one for a little while. That's that's very profound. It's it's short but profound. It is um, a mic
1: drop moment, and geez. I have taken it with me ever since and boy does it apply in a lot of places in
0: life i (laughs) was just going to say that that it has to apply on on so many different levels and so many different playing fields yeah wow would you rather be right or sane um yeah i'll pick sane
1: (laughs) exactly every time
0: Uh, every time wow yeah i'll be thinking about that one for a while today that's Shout out to Stuart, for sure. Very good. All right, Lisa, I know we mentioned your podcast in the beginning, but let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find your show. Talk a little bit more about your show, if you would, please. I'd love to. Thank you so much for asking. First of all, you can always go to positivelyproductive.com and locate
1: me and locate links to all the things. But as um, Tim mentioned, the podcast is Positively Living, and it is not your usual productivity podcast by any stretch of the imagination. I am a productivity and organizing coach. I am certified in time and stress management, but we take a holistic approach to all of this. We can't pretend that we live life in a vacuum. And when we're juggling all the things, business and family, caregiving, whatever it happens to be, we need to be able to look at all the aspects of our lives. So the podcast does involve systems and organizing and time management, but also wonderful, profound conversations like I had with Tim on mental health, on trauma and grief and change and fear and intentional happiness and and so many different things. So the three main categories are self, your self-actualization, your self-management, your self-awareness simplicity, that's the decluttering and the simplifying and uncomplicating life. and then of course, the systems, which is the structural foundation that puts everything in place and helps us streamline our lives and you know make space for what matters.
0: Excellent. Well, I will say that I enjoy your show. I listen to it often. Thank um, you. And yeah, it, it's an incredible show and I strongly encourage everybody to go out to, uh, check it out, listen to it not just because I was a guest. I mean, if that helps, I mean, go for it. But there's some really encouraging conversations that are held on there. And uh, like she said, there's it's not just a topic. There are many topics that is, are discussed. So please go check out uh, Positively Living Podcast. And you can find that again on positivelyproductive.com. And we'll have those down in the show notes for everyone to listen or, or to go check out. And then of course, listen to the podcast as well. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your story. I so greatly appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you and uh, keep doing what you're doing because this conversation, this continued conversation that we're all having needs to be had.
0: Oh, thank you. And we'll do our best. All right, guys. Thank you so much. That's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward.